The Holy Gospel according to John. Glory to you, O Lord. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. <clears throat> Let us pray. Holy God, bless our time together reflecting on your word. Amen. Isaiah says that it's not enough for us to individually be saved, but that we must care for the whole world. So we had better practice spending time together. And Psalm 40 says that any God that calls you to act against your conscience is a fake so when we talk about God saving us from the miry clay, we are talking about leaving behind a way of life that is morally complicated, isolated, and exhausting. When we talk about God lifting us up and putting us on a solid rock and putting a song in our mouth, we are talking about the narrow path of righteousness, doing the right thing with one another. Even if it seems difficult or strenuous in effort, it is joyous and a relief for our conscience to be doing the right thing. It's like standing on solid ground. In fact, when we act in a way that is against our conscience, it's like torture. When we talk about putting our trust in the Lord, we are talking about following our conscience. Remember that Lord in the Bible is a code for the holy name of God that Moses received on Mount Sinai, and that name is I Am. 
So we would not be wrong to interpret the verse, happy are those who make the Lord their trust, as happy are those who make I am their trust. There's something there about trusting ourselves. What this means is that deep within you, you have a conscience and the ability to do the right thing. I would go so far as to say whether or not you even struggle with a traditional belief in God, within your being, you have a sense of what's right and wrong. When you're doing the best that you can, and we are all listening to our consciences, that is fearing the Lord. That is having a healthy fear of I am. The key, as I mentioned to the children, is realizing that not just us as individuals are doing this, but every human being is doing this. We're not alone. We get into big trouble when we ignore our conscience and when we don't listen to each other. That is sloshing around in the miry clay. And happy are those who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. Unfortunately, it's easy to go astray. There are many false gods who try to trick us into following them and putting our faith and allegiance in them. You can imagine what they are. I'd say maybe the most easily way that this happens is when we stop listening to our conscience and we just start doing what somebody else tells us what is right. We really have to think for ourselves. You know, even religion can be a false god. We must remember that Lutheranism, Christianity, Evangelicalism, Catholicism, you name it, no religion can save a person. When we begin to think that a religion can save, we've already broken the first commandment. None of us should be here because we think this is the only way to salvation. It is much more honest to say that we are a free association of persons striving to have faith. I myself didn't choose to be born and raised in the Lutheran church. And even if you came to Lutheranism later in life, you didn't choose all those coincidences that brought you here. So we can't judge people who worship elsewhere. We can and should judge all of the traditions and not hesitate to think critically about them. Starting with our own. If we want to have true faith in God above all else. Commandment number one says, I am the Lord your God. You shall have no other gods before me. You know what's interesting about that commandment is nowhere in there does it command us actually to believe in God. The commandment is don't believe in false gods. The part about believing in God is a declaration. God says, I am your God. Never does God say, believe in me. God just says, I am your God. Whether you believe it or not, God is God. The thing that God warns us about is don't be led astray. I will always be here for you. That's grace. God is always there. What we have to do is not put our hope and our faith in false gods, idolizing anything. 
So let me give you an example of what it means to not have a false god. The other day I was walking up Euclid Avenue, and there was a young man at the, uh, the bench up here, close to 22nd, and he had a big Bible with him. And he was, he was witnessing, he was proselytizing. And I thought that was great, you know, good for him. And he wanted to talk to me, and I said, yeah, let's talk. And I said, you know, I'm a pastor at the church right there. And um, he said, great. He said, do you believe that the Bible is the word of God? And I said, no. And he said, what? And I said, Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is God's word. And he said, that doesn't sound right. And he opened up his Bible. He turned to John chapter 1, verse 1, and he said, listen to this. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And I said, amen, brother. See, it says it right there. Jesus is the word of God. He was there in the beginning. And I said, I love the Bible. The Bible's inspired. I study it every day. I study it multiple times a day. I, I can't wait to read it. But the Bible is not God. It's an inspired word that we study, we think critically about. Take this morning's reading, for example. In John, it says, twice, John the baptizer says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When we think about Jesus being the Lamb of God, it makes us think about how our sins are forgiven. Now, we say that Jesus died for our sins, like a, a lamb is, was sacrificed in Old Testament times uh, to atone for our sins. Well, that's fine. And that's good news. It's good news that Jesus is the way in which our sins are forgiven. But, you know, there's a lot of latitude for how you understand that. For example, some people say that God demands punishment, right? That when somebody does something right, God rewards them. And if somebody does something wrong, God punishes them. But, you know, I got to say, if that's the case, I don't think that God's doing a very good job. Because if you look at the world today and you look at who are some of the most richest, powerful people in the world, all over the world, they are not always people that do the right thing. Far from it. And if you look at people who do the right thing, who give their lives to caring for others, oftentimes they get punished for doing the right thing. I mean, look at Martin Luther King Jr., who we commemorate this weekend and especially tomorrow. He gave his life trying to make this country a better place. And he died at a young age because of it. When we say that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, what we're saying is that even when you do the right thing, when you listen to your conscience, when you every day listen to other people and come to common understanding about what is right, it can challenge. It can challenge people who are in authority and who have power, and they don't like it, and they at times will try to stop you and you might suffer for it. So when we say Jesus is the Lamb of God, we see what is at stake when we do the right thing. 
But it also means that there is no magical thing that is going to make this world better. That if we want to see this world to be a better place, we have got to do it. We have got to work together. We have got to support each other when times get tough so that together we can work to make this a better world. I would say that is what faith is really about. Faith is really about taking seriously our own responsibility and having the courage to speak the truth, to speak our conscience when it tells us what is right and what is wrong, even when people don't want to hear it. We speak it out. And it also means we got to have the courage when we speak that truth and someone comes back at us and they say, you're wrong, the truth is this. We have to enter into that space and listen to each other and realize that even if we listen to our conscience, we're not going to get it right 100% of the time. We have to listen, listen to other people. And together in that process, faith means that we will, we will together with patience and care and love, we will be led by God, by the Holy Spirit to agree and to move forward for a better creation. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, that's exactly what we're praying, that heaven comes here, God's kingdom comes here, God's will will be done here when we work together, when we serve together. When John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God twice, finally, some of his disciples break off and they start to follow Jesus. And what do they say to Jesus? First of all, Jesus says to them, what are you looking for? And they say, a teacher. We're looking for a rabbi. And then they ask him. They don't say, start teaching us, rabbi. They say, where, where are you staying? Before they are in a position to learn, they need to spend time with Jesus. They need to trust Jesus. And so Jesus says, come on over. Come on over and hang out. And that's all they did. They spent the day together. They spent the day together in fellowship, just chit-chatting, getting to know one each other. And they probably started to, to talk about the deep things. They probably started to talk about faith and what was going on in the world. But it takes time. It takes time not being alone, not, be, not being isolated, but being together. So I thank you. I thank you that you came here this morning. You came to church, and we're going to drink the coffee, and we're going to eat the snacks. We're going to hang out, and we're going to get together again and again and again because it's together in fellowship that we listen to our conscience, we share it with each other, and by the Spirit's guiding, we discern where God is calling us and what God is calling us to do. Amen.